blaze your way through challenges, an inspiring talk with fighter pilot Caroline Blaze Jensen. Join us as we sit down with the incredible Caroline Blaze Jensen, a combat fighter pilot, the right wing for the USAF Thunderbirds, and a single parent. Blaze knows something about resilience and brilliance under pressure. In this candid interview, she shares her unique insights on how to overcome obstacles and thrive in the face of adversity. Blaze takes us through her journey from the cockpit to parenting and how she became a proven leader in and out of uniform. She emphasizes that our most challenging times often forge our best selves. It's easy to crumble under pressure, but Blaze believes that's precisely when growth happens. Listen to her inspiring stories of finding strength and inspiration in the most daunting situations and learn how you too can blaze your path to success. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, where you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride. the same after we learned our 21-year-old daughter, Kristen, was murdered by her ex-boyfriend. It's a parent's worst nightmare. How much did we really know about domestic violence back then? Clearly not enough. Now we know plenty. We know domestic violence, or DV, can happen to anyone. One in three women suffer physical violence at the hands of intimate partners during their lifetimes. One in three. I'm Bill Mitchell, host of the When Dating Hurts podcast. And my interviews with DV counselors, law enforcement, and especially actual DV survivors give the pandemic of domestic violence the attention it deserves. The When Dating Hurts podcast. It's a series of lives being saved. Let me share with you today a little bit more about the guest we have. Caroline Blaze Jensen is a retired F-16 fighter pilot, the first mother to fly for the USAF Thunderbirds, and a combat veteran with over 200 hours in Iraq. She released a book titled, titled Thunder Mouse on October 10th, 2023, inspired by the bedtime story she told her son during their separation. Blaze also made history as the first woman qualified to fly the Boeing T-7A Red Hawk trainer in the defense industry. Her career was inspired by the World War II Women Air Force Service Pilots, WASP. I am so pleased to welcome here with us today, Blaze. Hey, Blaze, how are you? I'm fantastic, April. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited for our talk this morning. I am too. You have such an extensive background. It's so exciting. And I want to start by saying, Blaze, thank you so much for your service. 
Well, thanks for your support. It means a lot. And I know that you have a background in law enforcement too. And so you know what it's like to sacrifice for the people around you and your community and in your country. So thank you too for your service. Thank you. Well, so I, we have this beautiful mutual appreciation for one another and understanding. This is going to be a great discussion today. Let's start by sharing with the audience a little bit more background. Let's talk a little bit more about you. Can you share with us some of that background? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I grew up in Wisconsin and my family has a military history and a history of serving their country. And I guess that's where I caught the bug to want to serve my country. My grandmother on my mom's side was a spar during World War II and uh, served stateside to help with the, the mission and um, the efforts during World War II. So she was very proud of that and very patriotic. And I love hearing her stories about that. My dad's father went into the Coast Guard also during World War II. And he left for war just a couple of days after my father was born. And my father was born on Christmas Eve of 1942. So wow. you kind of imagine that feeling and that time of year and having to sacrifice your brand new firstborn child and your wife back home to go into harm's way to serve your country. Mm. So that really resonated with me growing up. And then my father was a Vietnam veteran as well and flew helicopters and did some very dangerous missions, over 680 missions during um, Vietnam. So I grew up with this intense passion um, or sense of patriotism because of the service of my family. And I one day saw a movie about aircraft flying around clouds and I was really enamored with it. I wanted to fly. So that's kind of where my bug started, just seeing it and seeing an airplane flying around the clouds and thinking that that that's something that I wanted to do. And I was very lucky to end up marrying that desire to fly and be in the air with my desire to serve my country. Mm, I love that. And it makes a lot of sense. You've had this innate desire, you know, generation after generation to serve in that capacity, this very honorable, uh, you know, passionate, proud aspect of yourself that wanted to show up in that way. And I love that you bring in the, that you saw the movie with the the planes and how you knew that you wanted to fly. Because when we talk about uh, armed services, there's so many different directions you can go, right? And, and so being mm -hmm. able to pinpoint kind of uh, that direction that you want to go is, I would say, a nice feature where you're not trying to figure out where it is exactly. You really know what you want to do and how you want to do. And it brings in that passion behind it where I feel you show up so much greater. Yeah, absolutely. I I feel like, um, you know, I, I mentor a lot of kids and the kids that come to me know exactly what they want to do. But I have, I've seen other kids that I interact with who don't have that luxury. I mean, it's such a blessing to know what you want to do in life. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because I'm, I'm kind of at a transition. I, I retired a couple of years ago, but it's taken me a while to, I went and got my dream job. It turned out it wasn't my dream job after retiring from the Air Force. And so I've been able to build what I want in my life that I can be present for my son, that I can still be involved in things that are passionate to me and, um, you know, do things like author a book and pick my son up from school every single day and help with homework and still do some traveling and um, promote the legacy of World War II veterans who meant a lot to me. 
Uh, and I, I can't wait to get into more of that aspect, but because you said that you, it's just been a few years and you transitioned into what you thought was your dream job. I would love to hear more about that blaze. What was that like for you? What was your dream job that you soon discovered actually wasn't? Hello everyone. Welcome to candy apple advocacy, the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby. We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be, but we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education. That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent or have been in the game for a while, we invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together. I went to um, work at a Fortune 50 defense company, and I actually was working in sales and marketing. And I also had the distinct honor, like one of the coolest things I've ever done in aviation was flying uh, the new T-78 Red Hawk trainer. Um, But it was a lot of work and it was during COVID. So that was a really difficult time to transition. I was a single parent. So, you know, there was some aspect of homeschooling while I was doing that job. And then um, I was the head of marketing. and business development for that program. That's a $9.5 billion program. And then at the same time, the test pilots were amazing enough to bring me down and get me completely qualified in the aircraft doing different simulator missions. And I ended up flying five hours. I was in the back seat. Um, since there were only two aircraft, I didn't get to solo the aircraft myself um, because those two aircraft were like the linchpin of the the test program to get that aircraft fielded, which is currently underway. Um, So there was a lot of pressure there. And um, I just, there's a book from Martha Beck that talks about integrity and, and your personal integrity. And it's something with it wasn't the right place for Mm -hmm. me and for my son. And so um, everything was really wonderful. I have so much respect for the folks at Boeing and and other defense industries. Uh, And I may go back to, you know, something someday, but but for me at that time, I just needed to focus more on my son and my own well-being um, because I was giving a lot to that that program. But I definitely loved the dedication that people who work there give to those programs. And especially when programs are being competed, you have people who spend decades of their life working on technologies that they hope will gain a contract that may or may not gain a contract. So um, some very dedicated patriotic people who um there's a lot of them that work in the defense industry. Well, and it's and it's so needed, of course. And so, Blaze, there's a few things that I heard out of there, and I would I would love to talk further about them. Now, you mentioned homeschooling as a parent, and I I've been there too. So it's amazing to me that you were so involved in so many things, wearing the hats. And th- these are not easy positions. These are positions that really need a lot of, of 
brain power of where you're showing up often. It's a lot of concentration. And yet as a parent, you chose to homeschool. So I can only imagine the struggles there because I've been there too, where you're, you're doing quite a bit. And I'm also curious well, about, oh, go ahead. I, sorry, I need to correct the record on that too. It wasn't traditional homeschooling. And my, you know, kudos to people who do that, parents who do that for their children. But it was just the beginning of COVID where the schools are trying to figure out what they're doing yes. and the kids are at home and, you know, they don't want to get out of bed and wear their pajamas and, yeah. and all of those kind of things. So it was a lot of oversight of his education, but he, it wasn't a traditional homeschool. Setup. No, I, I, I think a lot of people can. Yeah. Nonetheless, nonetheless, many of us parents experienced that during COVID and it, it's similar yeah. things. I mean, as far as the school systems that weren't familiar with the online uh, teaching and the having it be really clear and, yeah. you know, thought out, it wasn't, it was, it was a mess. So I am going to, I'm going to stand by that and say that it's still a challenging, okay. <laughs> challenging time as a parent. And so, yes. And so what I'm saying is there's a lot there as a parent. And many of us knew what that was like during COVID where we had to be more uh, with our children and concentrate with them during their time to support them and support our own personal roles in, you know, in our, in our fields. And so I also thought uh, what you brought out of that, what you just said was um, you didn't say identity, but you said the alignment of, uh, remind me what you said. It was an I word. I go to identity. Integrity. integrity thank yeah. you. I tend to go to identity, especially when we've come out of fields, uh, um, positions of power, so to speak, when you transitioned outside of military, first responder, all that sort of things, there is this sense of identity crisis. And so I, I feel like maybe you are experiencing some of that. Maybe you can elaborate. Yeah, I mean, in, in the Air Force, our, the core values is integrity first, service before self and excellence in all we do. And, and that's an amazing thing, but transitioning and part of the reason I left the military when I did was so that I could be present for my son. And I kind of jumped in from, you know, the frying pan into another frying pan mm. that required a lot more um, time and dedication. And, um, you know, I was happy to give that, but it, it started to be at a cost to myself. And so um, the book is Martha Beck, The Way of Integrity. And it just talked about, you know, being in alignment with with what's what you want. And it's not always something that you can specifically put your finger on. Um, and I, I like make a difference. I believe in that program. I believe in the need of the Air Force for this new aircraft. And it's gonna be amazing um, when it's out, but but something it just it wasn't in alignment with who I wanted to be as I transitioned out of the military, who I wanted to be as a human and a parent. And I feel that I have a great story that I can tell. I do a lot of keynote speaking for different um, corporations. And I like that connection, even though you're on stage and you're looking at a bunch of people, there is a connection with there and be able to share that story and not to, you know, be like, oh, look, I've done all these amazing things. But the point of that is that you could do it too. Yeah. There's plenty of times where I was behind, you know, like the eight ball, if you will. And I could have yeah. easily like nobody would have faulted me for giving up. And there's so much that you miss mm. when you get to those times when you are under all that pressure 
like you said in the beginning, you're becoming more and more brilliant then, and, and it's really easy to give up, but there are dividends that will be paid for sticking with that gut feeling of, of what you want, that integrity within yourself. Oh, that's powerful. I, I love how you said that, that gut feeling within you, that integrity. And as long as you're keeping in alignment with that, or you know that fire within, it, you keep moving towards it and great things are going to happen and you're going to experience an immense amount of growth. And uh, I, so I was looking at Martha Beck because uh, I, that the name was so familiar. She has written another book that I have read is Finding Your Own North Star. And so I'm sure there's many similarities in that with what we're discussing is really understanding and knowing your integrity, knowing your North Star, all of the things that, again, that's that burning within you. And when we keep moving towards that, you know, regardless of the things that are happening around us, because no secret here that life is not uh, easy. There's no straight path. It's going to have the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs. And so... I appreciate that so much, Blaze, where you're talking about that this is this has not been uh, an easy journey. I have accomplished many incredible things. I continue to do many incredible things in the world, uh, especially the book. And we're going to talk a lot about that, too. But when you when we look at other people who have done these major accomplishments, this is not without cost. And so what are some of the struggles that you've had? when we talk about being a single parent and you have also had some health issues. And I think that I've heard that through what you've talked about and how I needed to start caring for myself because that was being pushed too far to the, to the side where it, it wasn't in my best interest. Yeah. Well, I, I think one of the big things that I had to do to start taking care of myself is to start listening to myself. And there's so many pressures on women especially, but not just women from society that tells you how you should be and what your family unit should look like. And, you know, yeah. especially for women, you need to be this whole present mom and do all these amazing things. But also, you know, in the corporate world, like there's a whole other requirement for you as a, um, a member of a corporation or a salesperson, business development. Um, and even that world is not hugely, you know, equalized between men and women. Um, so there are just a lot of pressures. And one of the things I really had to do was to kind of quiet that and kind of step back for a while. And I was very fortunate that I had served and I retired and I had some savings and I can step back and really just kind of block everything out. I moved back to my hometown. Uh, so there's family around that can help me with my son to take care of him. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of expectations when you retire from the military for what you're going to do to follow on, especially for a pilot. And um, mm -hmm. I would love to go fly for a major airline, but that would have me gone a lot, like over half the month. Um, and that's a lot of time there too. And then the defense industry mm -hmm. and just, you know, I had everything that, that you're supposed to want and it just, it was not in alignment. So I, I think um, I really struggled and, and I'm still working on um, Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism. And I think there's a lot of women out there too walking mm -hmm. around with this issue that may or may not understand it. And you go to a doctor and, and you're like, I'm fatigued. Um, my hair's falling out. I'm gaining weight. I can't sleep. And 
Um, but I'm still doing all those things I did when I was like ridiculously healthy as far as my nutrition and my physical fitness and my meditation and journaling and all of those things that, that keep you healthy. Um, but it just started to become kind of a stress cycle that I think being stressed made me the Hashimoto's worse and the Hashimoto's made me unable to handle stress. So that was another kind of reason that I, I backed out and I don't talk about that a lot. I've done, you know, quite a bit of public speaking and there's some good material out there, but I'm, I'm really glad that you asked me about that. Cause I, I know I've seen other friends or women or stories out there of women who are just kind of struggling. And it, by the way, it affects men as well. Yeah. Just struggling with feeling out of alignment with your, within your own physical body and knowing that you're doing the right things. Uh, but just kind of, instead of being told like, Hey, maybe you really need to look at how your hormones are balanced or maybe look at different types of cleansing or um, really, really, really prioritizing sleep above everything else. And those things will start to help you get out of that vicious cycle and start working towards it. So I was lucky that I built a life where I could focus on two things and that was me and my son and start to really recover from um, where I was before uh, health-wise, and then just really looking forward to the future and, and doing new things and doing more speeches and, and getting out there. Um, but I hope that that kind of inspires some people really to dig into um, research Google and look at some of your symptoms. And, and if you sound like, you know, people are just telling me, oh, you need to eat better, you need to sleep more, you really need to work out, like you're doing all those things you know in your heart, like th there's other underlying issues that that may yeah. really help you get better. Mm. Wow, so, so powerful. I want to start, Blaze, by thanking you for being so vulnerable. That's my favorite aspect of the Wellness Driven Life show is when people really go deeper and they're as authentic as they can be. Because through that, uh, through our stories and the things that we struggle with, that is how we inspire people the most. And because there's so many people, like you said, that are are struggling, who are going through things. And it's the stuff that we don't want to talk about, the stuff that's happening behind closed doors, the internal thoughts and feelings and emotions that happen with all of us and nobody wants to talk about. So I want to start by thanking you for that, for sharing in that vulnerability aspect of yourself, because it is absolutely powerful. And you being a keynote speaker, and yes, you lead and, and you share all of this incredible wisdom and advice uh, in order to lead corporations and other people into that sense of um, understanding and leadership and power. And yet there's, there's the reality of all of the other things that we're contending with. And so, so much of what I heard was, and, and I want to emphasize this because I think that it's very important, but you talked about how you had to go within and really understand the things that, you know, outside of societal standards. And I can only imagine Blaze, what that is like for you, thinking that you have to show up in this certain light and capacity in your position with, with your family as well, because this is so deeply rooted, the servitude is so deeply rooted 
in your background within your family. And so being able that, I mean, that's very brave to look at things in a different light, to be able to sit with yourself and go within and say, yes, I have everything here laid out for me that I'm supposed to be doing that's expected of me because I chose this path. And yet it's not in alignment. It's like having the rug pulled up from underneath yourself, right? Like every, I have everything I wanted. Like how many people grow up and say, I want to be a fighter pilot. And I did that and I got to go do it. And I, I literally had one hour in a Cessna 172. I'd only been on an airplane two times on my flight to the Air Force Academy um, to start going through basic training. So um, I was, I know how lucky I am. And like we talked about in the beginning, someone who has this vision and this goal and the, the drive to go do something, I think your desire and drive can overcome any obstacles uh, ahead of you. Um, but it was really hard to be like, man, I achieved everything. And I'm like, something's not right here. So and I think an, another thing that really helped me that is a total unpopular opinion um, is cutting out alcohol. And especially you come from a culture, I live in Wisconsin and you know, there's, there's alcohol everywhere. Um, for me with my Hashimoto's, it just was something that I had to get rid of. I need to find another way to relax at the end of the day besides a glass of wine. Or when I go out, I have a lot better time if I'm drinking soda water and lime versus any, you know, alcohol mm. added to it. So I think some of your listeners too are really on that wellness journey. That might be something that they are thinking about in their life. And um, it's been nothing but amazing things. I, I lost one little thing and I gained a lot more with like my health and my being present and even enjoying the relationships with people that you would normally be drinking with. So yeah. um, that's I love that. I'd love to share. I, you know, I, I, I get excited because I need to hear that too, <laughs> because it's easy to socially as adults, that's, that's the thing, right? But I love that you said soda water and lime, you know, we can go out and be present with people. And even in a greater light, like you said, I got rid of one thing and I gained so much more. And yep. <laughs> it is fascinating how much those little tweaks, because, you know, this is even on a social level, right? This is not like, I mean, mm -hmm. drinking all the time consistently where it's, it's a major issue. However, even when it's on these more infrequent or social aspects, it has this profound effect on our health, surprisingly enough. And yeah. I think that I like to say that my disease is my superpower because it shows up in my body so fast. It's like, uh, yeah, that's not working. And I really don't like that. So maybe not consume that again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, for but, sure. You know, it's, it's like torturing yourself slowly just to keep up with uh, those that society piece the where we want to commune together, where we want to be present with mm -hmm. another, but, but there are ways to do that. So we can definitely shift gears. I know there's a lot of popularity mm -hmm. around mocktails now and it's mm -hmm. just gaining momentum. So I know that it's definitely on the forefront, but I love that you bring that perspective. And, and that's one little tweak that you made that created this really incredible improvement in your life. Yeah, for sure. So you you also talked about how, you know, sleep was something that is 
also at the forefront for you. Can you share a little bit more about that, whereas it was lacking and then you were correcting it in order to make a difference? Yeah, I, I just had to prioritize it. So um, instead of staying up watching your favorite show on Bravo until 10 o'clock at night or, or whatnot, like, you know, everything can wait till tomorrow or um, I definitely eat earlier than most. Uh, families do um, with my son. Like if we have events later, we'll try to have the meals earlier, which helps with digestion. And so your body's not processing things while you go to sleep, um, but it also allows me to go to bed earlier. I like to turn the night lights down at the end of the night um, so that I'm kind of getting myself in the mood to go to bed. Um, mm. There's a book called Sleep Smarter by Sean Stevenson, who's got an amazing podcast too, where it talks about all these different things like vitamin D is very important. Magnesium is very important. Um, cutting out sugars and caffeine after a certain point um, for the caffeine. And I really don't eat much sugar anymore. Um, but that probably goes a lot to the Hashimoto's as well. Uh, but prioritizing. So I run my schedule so that I can be in bed by nine o'clock at night, hopefully. Um, and then just, just making that space specifically for this is this is the time that we kind of start shutting down and going to, to sleep. So it's, it's very hard for parents with kids who have activities that go till, you know, nine o'clock or later, which there's quite a bit of that um, these days out there. So unfortunately, mm -hmm. my son doesn't do that right now. But if, if you have that, then kind of plan ahead and plan around that for other nights. Like, okay, here's where we're going to, you know, do this go for our walk after, you know, dinner and then kind of just start getting ready to go to bed. So it, I think a lot of people, um, you know, it's, they put the kids to bed and then it's time to wind down after that. But I think like your kids' bedtime is, is my bedtime too. So that's been a, a good thing just to get that to go to sleep. So it's funny sometimes when people are like, Oh, what do you like to do for fun? I'm like, well, I like to go to bed early because I feel so much better the next day instead of staying up and having a cocktail, you know, a nightcap before bed, just like go to sleep and you wake up the next day and it helps you wake up at 530 in the morning and um, do a workout at the gym or, you know, just get going in the morning really helps me to focus on the rest of the day and it sets me up for a good night's sleep too. Yeah. Oh, those are really great tips. Really great tips. I love how you really go deeper into the winding down at the end of the day and mm -hmm. setting yourself up for that, dimming the lights, getting your body and your mind really in that it is time to start winding down, to start calming the body and the mind and go to sleep. And I also love that you talk about walking and how you you can walk, take a walk after dinner and to also, you know, see maybe the sunset. And I agree with you. There's a lot of studies behind that with that, uh, you know, having the, the vitamin D and having that natural aspect where it really helps us be more in alignment and in tune with our bodies. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's been great. And it's been fun, that kind of wellness journey. So also, you know, focusing on my son, focusing on myself has given me a lot of time to be able to do my own research and find people that I can, you know, listen to who do amazing research and, um, you know, studies and everything scientific. And it's really made a difference in my life. 
So one thing I'm really curious about, Blaze, is you you are a, a speaker, a keynote speaker, so you do a lot of traveling, I, I imagine. What is that like for you with uh, Hashimoto's where you travel so often? How do you keep balanced with that? What are some of the tips and tricks that you would have for, for travel? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I'm pretty selective with the jobs that I accept right now so that I can be home as much as possible. And, um, you know, full-blown keynote speakers are gone on the road more than airline pilots are. Um, so I usually do one or two events a month, um, which is working out great for me. But things that I really like to do is set, set myself up for success or bring things with me to eat. Or when I get to a location, I will go to a grocery store and pick up my water. I drink a lot of water every day. Um, I bring with like my fiber bars. I'm very, I'm not eating keto, but I'm pretty close to like very low carb. And there's certain like vegetables like raspberries or apples. Um, so I make sure that I have those things available to me in my um, room. And then it's always easy as well to ask a restaurant to, you know, leave certain elements out of your meal. And so just eat really simply. Um, and it, it's, it's a, a big help. And then I actually do enjoy... Um, being a single parent, having a hotel room, and I'm really lucky since I moved back home, I have family who can come and stay with my son while I'm gone, or he can go, you know, hang out at his aunt's house, or grandma and grandpa's are around. So when I go, I feel um, safe that my son is with family members who love him, and also I have a room to myself, and I don't have to wake up and take anyone to school or let the dog out in the middle of the night. So I usually sleep pretty well. Um, even when I'm not in my own bed. Um, but mm. those are things I think just trying to let go of that mom guilt, which is really hard to do. And it yeah. took me a long time to be able to do that. But I just have to focus like, hey, you know, like they say, you can't pour from an empty cup. So when I when I go, I, I get there, I set everything out in my hotel room. I have, like I said, those healthy, clean um, things that I can eat and, and just really spend a lot of time too focusing on what I want to say the next day. Um, I really enjoy being at the airport and getting on a plane and just, I have my computer and I can help focus and hone and kind of tweak things. So every time you speak, your customer wants to hear something a little bit different that would resonate with their company. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really fun. I like to um, kind of at the end, I'm always like massaging what I'm going to say. And um, I don't know, it's, it's really fun. It's a, it's a really cool way to connect with a, a group of people and, and share that story and hopefully get them to aspire to be more present in their own life. And, and when you're present in your own life, you're a better worker as well. Like you're a better part of the team and you are more productive. I can see how much that lights you up. And I always love getting the bits and pieces behind the scenes, so to speak, you know, with people who are traveling and they have a life at home, they have a family, they have children and and what that is like. And I, I really appreciate that you bring up the mom guilt because it is so hard to to let that go. And that has been probably one of the biggest things that has been most challenging for me as a parent to let go of the, the control aspect of, of feeling like I have to be there. I have to be present. I have to control all of these little things. And, and yet when we let go and we allow 
I mean, it, it just, it shows up so much better for us. It, like, let's go of the stress of that, of course. So we are able to perform and show up better for everyone else. And also, I think a lot of it too is um, allowing your child that, that time for their own self-growth and development. It's really interesting how we we want to navigate so many things or protect in so many different ways. And yet, if we consider that everybody's on their own soul journey, then giving them that availability and space to be able to grow in their own right is really a powerful thing. So I appreciate that you bring that up because I think it's true. It's interesting. I had a guest on the show. His name is Eric Edmeads. And he has done extensive research on why we show up the way we do, why we do the things we do. And a lot of it is in our diet. And so, but he has this, this little thing where he talks about mom guilt and where it <laughs> stems from. And if you can imagine back long, long time ago, where as parents, we had to be around our child oftentimes, especially when they're real little, because if we let them go, they're going to be eaten by a lion. Yeah. And so, right. And we don't want that. So we don't live in that time, but it's this, this innate, really deep uh, aspects of ourselves of why we respond the way that we do. And I think that when we have the knowledge of and the understanding of and the awareness of why we think and react the way that we do on a biological level, it certainly can help us show up differently. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's an immense responsibility to be a parent, right? And I, I joke with my son, you know, he's like, oh, I want to do this. I'm like, no, you can't do that because it's my job to keep you alive until you're at least 18. Right. And then you can decide to do these crazy things if you still you know, feel that you need to, uh, but it, it's a responsibility, right? And and especially as a single parent, you feel like you are solely responsible and a, a lot of women are, um, but you've heard the old adage, it takes a village to, you know, raise a child. So, you know, reach out and like find where your village is and you can mm -hmm. find people that you trust. And so you can let that responsibility go just for a little bit and it's not being an absent parent it's not being irresponsible because it it can really like mom guilt is not a good thing it's really difficult and sharing that responsibility with someone just for a night or a weekend or for a work trip you know especially when you don't have that partner at home to be able to share that responsibility with but just letting it go for a little bit is really um i think it's good self-care when you're in that situation. Yeah. You know, it, it, I've had um, other people in law enforcement. And when we talk about women uh, that have gone into law enforcement and uh, people from your background with military, it's it's the women who have children who, who do come across these, uh, these standards of, well, you should really be at home caring for or all of these expectations, right? And whether we're making the right decisions, you know, um, so it, it's a hot topic that comes up a lot, especially with women in these fields. And I'm curious, mm -hmm. what what was your relationship with that? What was your experience with that? And, and how did you address it with being a mom in these chosen, in this chosen field? Um, well, it was difficult. I think, um, I guess two things when you ask me those questions that kind of come to mind are first that I, I know that there was some consternation with the Thunderbirds hiring me as the first mom. 
um, to fly for the team because we were gone, you know, March through November and you'd leave on a Thursday and you'd come home on a Monday and sometimes more than that. And I think the team has even increased their practice. So they're gone a lot more than we were back then. So being a, a mom was something that people were really concerned about, which I thought was funny because, you know, some of the people on the team had children too, and they had a spouse at home. But I mean, I, I think it was equally as important for them to be present for their their children. And um, my, you know, I had a husband at the time, my ex-husband uh, had a job where he could be home and then the parents came out too. So um, so that was really interesting. And I, I think something that, you know, was definitely taken into consideration when hiring me to be a Thunderbird pilot. Um, but the other thing was I became the director of operations for a squadron. <clears throat> I think we had something like 25 aircraft, um, over 30 different pilots. And it was my responsibility to be the director of all the operations for one of the busiest flying squadrons in the Air Force. Um, and I, but I was a single parent and I was getting my master's degree done and dealing with some personal issues um, through like um, custody and child support. It was just a very difficult time. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I, I had to prioritize to survive, right? So you, you can prioritize to survive. And I think I had a great impact, a great impact on the squadron because there were certain days like, no, my son has a baseball game tonight at seven o'clock. So I'm going to walk out the door, you know, at this time so that I can be there. And um, setting myself up as a single parent running one of the busiest fighter squadrons um, in the Air Force to be able to still do my job and be there for my child. But I'm also setting an example that had maybe not really been seen very frequently for the fighter pilots in my squadron that it's okay to prioritize your kids mm -hmm. and um, prioritize your own time and while it seems like that would oh take you away and maybe you're not available as much the opposite was true that people were way more productive happier healthier when they weren't worrying about being present for their family so i think that i helped to bring kind of you know almost like this motherly or like some kind of reality to the job like a 12-hour day every day isn't always right the way to go ensuring that yeah. you get your job done things are safe people are looked after at work, the, the people that you are leading and you're responsible, they are taking care of and also make space for the your family at home that you need to take care of yeah. was really beneficial, I think, to my squadron. I think that there's there's so much to that. When we uh, are, have healthy relationships, both in personal and in professional, like it, it's, it's very important. It's vital. I'm curious, Blaze, did it have an effect on you? Uh, whereas it, it helped alleviate some of that mom guilt when you were able to tie in more time with your son. And what was that? What was that like? Or do you still experience maybe a little bit of mom guilt based on your past decisions of choosing certain career avenues? Um, no, I, I feel like I did, um, I did my best and it was probably hard in the time, but when I look back on it, I, I feel like I did the best that I could do. And I feel like I did a good job and I have a fantastic relationship with a 15 year old son who's, you know, an awesome teenager. And, uh, I know that that's not always happening with teenage boys. So, yeah. um, I don't know. I, I feel pretty fortunate and I, I know it was difficult and I'm very pro working mom. Um, so I, I definitely don't want to 
give the impression that there's only one way of doing things, but I've, I've done them both ways. And it's really up to the person and like, what do you need for your life to show up, to be present? Um, I definitely, after my son was born, I needed to go back to work to feel like I could hold on to my identity and keep growing and who I wanted to be. And being an Air Force fighter pilot was very important to that. Um, but we have seasons in our lives and we have changes and we grow and, and we expand. And so, you know, later on now, like this is, I know that I'm in the right place and I'm, I'm still growing. And I, I think that that's pretty remarkable. I, I love people in my life who um, are interested in becoming better and learning how to be a better person or experience new things. And so I think that's exciting. And, and when you are the person that you are, you draw to you the people that you want to be in your life. Oh, that's a really great perspective when you're, ah, that's just great. You draw in the people that, that are supposed to be near you when you're doing what you, what you love and what you need to. So I'm going to bring in to the, the stage here, some of the photographs, because we're, we're going to talk a little bit about this incredible journey that you've had in your career, as well as some of the things that you're doing now. So let's, I'll have you share, uh, what some of these photographs are, what they mean to you. Uh, this photograph was taken, I think, in 2008. Um, it was when my squadron, the 4th Fighter Squadron from Hill Air Force Base deployed to Iraq. It was We were there 2007 to 2008 um, and flying during the surge um, over Iraq. So it was... Um, you know, obviously very difficult and challenging to be away from home. We basically worked eight hour shifts um, and we could go a little bit longer than that, but um, the flying times that we were set up for responsible for was eight hours. So you'd end up working about a 12 hour shift and, you know, a lot of responsibility to be carrying weapons that can end people's lives and working with the troops on the ground to um, make sure that we were protecting them flying overwatch. You'd show up in the middle of the night. I flew a lot at night and you'd check in with a, the attack controller on the ground and you could hear kind of this tension in their voice sometimes. And by the time you like, all right, well, I'm here and this is what I've got and I can see where you're at and I can see the other position that you're concerned about and you could hear kind of the tension melting away. Um, so as like difficult as it was and how much pressure it was and like a huge responsibility to be carrying weapons like that in a, you know, I don't know what they're saying now, $35, $50 million aircraft that you're the sole operator of, like that is a lot of mm. pressure. But at the same time, like that was probably one of the simplest times of my life. You'd do your work for the ground, you'd do your flying time, you would uh, go to the mess hall and eat and you'd work out and you'd sleep. And like, you didn't have to worry about car payments or bills or um, I w didn't have a child at the time. So that made that um, aspect a little bit easier. Um, but it was also an amazing group of people who got those jets ready to go, who supported all the gear that we would wear that, um, you know, made sure that all of our administrative stuff that we would normally have to do back home was done. And, and it was just, it was an amazing example of teamwork and, mm. um, getting the mission done. And we were a fairly young squadron and, and we were like very successful, very useful to ensuring the safety of the. Iraqi people and our um, troops on the ground. Oh, wow. 
Um, this is one of my favorite photos, and it comes up every almost every year at Women's um, International Women's Day. And uh, the young lady in that post, her name is Dakota Lemuel, and she is a law student now. She went through, uh, she left the Air Force and um, went, and she's getting a three-year or four-year law degree in three years. And she actually moved and lives fairly close to me, so I get to see her. But um, mm. Dakota and I kind of went through a lot together because we were two of the few women on the team. I was the only female pilot. Uh, she was the first Black woman to be a crew chief for the uh, Thunderbirds on on the show line because hmm. they have a show on the ground before you see the aircraft uh, in the air and um, it just this means a lot to me just because you don't expect to see people like that flying a Thunderbird and I think that's why a lot of people like that picture but also the bonds that have been created between Dakota and I because she was literally responsible for my safety and my well-being and she would set up the cockpit for me and, and all of my gear and make sure I was like strapped in and everything was set properly um is something that has carried us through to today um, but it, it was good to have an ally kind of when you're you're different and um in the beginning of that experience it was kind of hard because a lot of people are questioning like why are you here and i think there's a tendency for groups to get somebody new to think oh well you're just here because you're different and you know there's um just a little bit of resistance and it was great to really conquer and flourish with her not just on our time and the thunderbirds but in our life and our friendship to this day ah oh, that is beautiful like, thank you so much for explaining this photo because that just brings so much more depth into it and the yeah that's just beautiful this is a fun photo <laughs> yeah i just thought people would enjoy it this is the high bombers and um, just this is what it looks like inside of the cockpit. And as the right wing pilot, I was always looking to the left. And so this is one of the few parts of the show where you get to look straight ahead. But I thought it'd be fun to share that you see all that smoke behind um, and you can yeah. see the wing of, of my airplane, but there's like four airplanes together that are going straight up. And then we all go in four different directions. But it's just, I think it's cool to see the dyn how dynamic the flying is and, you know, um, the concentration that it takes and the teamwork that it takes to get it done. And again, like you're in the air, but there's this huge team of like 120 people on the ground to make sure that everything works so that this can happen and can be shown to, you know, different audiences all across the United States. Every yeah. Oh, it's incredible. Now, how long Blaze did it take you to get familiar with and used to the the jolts or maybe what what I think of is maybe even a nauseating feeling of being so uh, going so fast, being so high up. What is that like? Uh, well, people get air sick. I wasn't one of those kind of people. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. We get to fly like our crew chiefs with us sometimes. And I didn't get to fly Dakota, but I, I flew one of my other crew chiefs and he was like really sick and he'd flown a lot, but he instantly didn't feel good. And, um, you know, we landed and it's just, there's always like, they have this like respect and sense of awe for you. And the reality is if you stick with it long enough and we'd flown a lot more, he'd feel just completely comfortable with it, but it takes a lot of training to get to that point. So, um, you really get used to it and your relative motion to the, you know, four or like three to five airplanes that are around you and the, the Thunderbirds is very minuscule at most points of the show. So you're really just focused on really tiny 
uh, movements to freeze line of sight so there's no motion between you and the other aircraft when you're flying really close. But um, when I first started flying, you fly very close, um, like as close as 18 inches away from another aircraft and you're, you know you can do it and you're there. And so like consciously I was like trying to be in position. This is a great, this is the echelon turn. And we used to show up like, how do you do it? You're like, well, I just don't breathe and like nobody moves and it works out just fine. <laughs> there's you're so close, like the actual airflow of the aircraft is like bumping into each other, but you're making small movements. Um, and there's like a lot of trust wow. that goes into this, right? That yeah. isn't gonna unload or two is gonna make sure that um he keeps the right pressure. I'm the I'm the third one down to the right and then I've got four who's like the one on the end and I was trying to be in position and the airflow over the other aircraft um ha impacts the way that your your aircraft moves but you just you have to make small movements and um and there's actually when you see it from the ground there it's very steady and it looks rock solid but in real life like you're constantly making small improvements and there's just like the tiniest bit of of movement going on too in the formation but um, when I first started learning how to fly in formation, I consciously was trying to be in position and that translated into the rudder that you use with your foot. But like subconsciously, I was, you have this fight or flight and you're like, oh, I think I, I need to be a little bit further away. So the stick of the F-16 barely moves at all. And for like the first maybe month of training, you'd look and I, I think I was just slightly putting pressure away on the stick subconsciously, but consciously I was like ruddering in. So I was like, I was flying just a little bit crooked for like the first month of training until you're like, all right, I trust these guys. I kind of know what I'm doing. I feel the way the aircraft is flying. I'm just a little bit uncoordinated, like the slightest bit crooked, but, but that's also like, man, what a luxury to be able to do something so repetitively with people that are so skilled that you can trust people to fly that close mm. and trust those crew chiefs to get those aircraft ready and, and be ready for you and fix anything that that you need so um yeah like this is the ultimate kind of picture of teamwork and and it just doesn't represent the four people in those four aircraft it represents like everybody throughout the air force who works really hard to defend our country every day oh it's so beautiful and such an incredible alignment i love your description blaze of all of these minor tweaks and what it's really like up there in the sky and how it looks so uh, in alignment on the ground, it looks seamless and yet it's all of these adjustments and it's a lot more difficult than it is. And I feel like there's something metaphorical here. Like when we make these micro adjustments and tweaks in life, right? On a consistent basis, you know, we might, we, we, we continue to be, uh, going in in the right direction but you have to make those minor tweaks yeah for sure and then also like i think like worrying about how you appear to other people like you know you might feel like you're flailing but they look and they see something that's rock solid right and but mm. then there's like another part of that if you are having a really hard time and you're struggling you might look completely okay to everybody on the outside so if you need to reach out for help reach out for help. And if you're worried about how other people are perceiving you, it's probably a lot better than, than what's going on within your, your head. So um, I don't know. I, yeah, mm -hmm. I like to talk about that. I'm glad you picked up on that metaphor, but it, it definitely translates to, to life in a good way that, you know, just keep going again. This is a lot of pressure. Like this is a lot of hard work, a very difficult maneuver. Um, 
but you're becoming your best and you're becoming a really good pilot. You're becoming very stable in your life when you're doing these things that make you really uncomfortable and you have to have a lot of trust on the team around you. You are becoming a better person. Right. Blaze, this has really set you up for having a greater understanding than I feel most people are able to accomplish when we talk about teammanship and when we talk about having just in general community support, the the connection between each other, between humans and how we need each other to thrive, period. Yeah, absolutely. And we're flying those airplanes by ourselves, but you are not alone. You have other people all around you that are there to support you. So people that supported me, which is a great segue for this picture, that is a a wasp whose name is Shitsi Reynolds. She um, passed away a couple years ago, but she was one of the women who left home during World War II to fly um, military aircraft. And when I decided I wanted to be a fighter pilot, it was around 1987, Top Gun came out, you know, just the year mm-hmm. before. And I finally saw it on VHS tapes. And I was Was really that the excited. movie that inspired you, Blaze? It was. And I wanted to be Maverick. I didn't want to be Charlie. Yeah. So <laughs> I went, you know, and started talking to uh, liaison officer. And I was like, hey, I want to go to the Air Force Academy. I want to become a fighter pilot. And he's like, well, women aren't allowed to fly fighters. And I was devastated and told my dad, you know, women aren't allowed to do this. And and he's like, well, you need to, you know, look to the WASP. And they were the first women to fly military aircraft. They flew every mission and flew every type of aircraft, including the pursuit, you know, fighter type planes, but they weren't allowed in combat. And then they changed the rules and women weren't allowed to fly for a long time. And then in the seventies, women were allowed back into military aircraft. And someday women are going to be allowed in fighters. And so it was my job to make sure that when the rules changed, that I was qualified. And the story of the wasp is what inspired me and what kept me going after my dream. And I entered the Air Force Academy in 1994. And guess what? They changed the laws so that women were allowed to fly fighters in 1993. So when I started as a freshman at the Air Force Academy, everything I had wanted and everything I'd been working for for the last seven years became a possibility and a reality. And had it not been for these women, I would not have been been able to have the career that I have. I feel like I owe everything to them. Oh my gosh, that is so inspiring. Wow, beautiful story. Thank you. And this lady is Mickey and she is 102 and she's, uh, I'll probably give her a call after this to tell her that I was talking about her, but she's become one of my dearest friends and mentors and just someone that I love and appreciate. And she uh, was one of the wasps. There were 1,104 women who flew and there's about 10 remaining. And I'm so blessed to have someone like Mickey in my life. And and the reason I picked this picture, you know, like with Dakota, who's, you know, 10 years younger and Mickey, who acts like she's only about 10 years older, uh, even though she's a little bit older than me, um, these women have been just so key and inspirational to me and helping me to kind of move forward and evaluate who I am and wanting to be a better person. And uh, I think that's important for you, like for women to find those role models, but just for everybody who's listening, male or female, really reach out and, you know, find those people in your life that support the person that you want to be. These are such beautiful stories. I love your story, period, that, you know, just describing how, what inspired you, being told 
nope, can't go into that career field. And then working your way. Your father is incredible, by the way. I got to say, I got to give a shout out to dad because being able to guide you in a different direction of another possibility and, and put you into that group with the, the wasp group and, and how it really inspired you and pushed you to continue on that journey and see what else was possible for yourself. So this really brings us into the next thing of, um, creating this book. And so we're going to bring this in and this is the the book that was released. Now your son is 15, but the it's the storyline is based on the stories that you used to tell your son. I can see the picture of him and you there and when you were gone. And so it's very touching, very moving, very inspiring story. You want to shed some light. This was just released this year. Yeah, it was actually just not even a month ago and it's been doing really well. So I'm excited. I feel like the story is resonating with people. If you're a veteran, if you're a parent who has to spend time away from your children, I had someone actually purchase the book for a family who's, um, they have like a family member who's in um, an intensive care unit and they've been separated and kind of how we can use our dreams and stories. They It doesn't replace the real thing, but it does help you cope and realize that you can still be connected even when you're away from each other. Um, but my son was three and a half and he was still potty training when I got selected for the team. And he just really, you know, said, mom, I want to go with you. And I said, well, you can't come with me because there's only one seat in the airplane. And he's like, well, what if I turn in a mouse? Like, can I sneak into the cockpit? And so we used to talk about like, Aww. you know, he would, could turn into a mouse and come with me. And the really beautiful thing is that I've met other military moms who told a similar story to their kids that they could become wow. a mouse and like hide in their pocket. Um, so, so that's what this story is about, just trying to find ways to remain connected. And um, Finn in the story meets a little mouse who decides that the mouse can be the conduit between the, the mom and the son. And there's some really great illustrations. I think you have one of the thunder mouse flying in the airplane with the loop-de-loops with mom on the wing and then at the end of the, the trips, he'll go home and whisper to the son so that the son can relive and experience like the, the son is with mom throughout the whole experience. Um, so it's been fun. I found um, through a friend, my editor is the daughter of a Thunderbird named Captain Jerry Bolt. He passed away um, in an F4 crash while he was on the Thunderbirds uh, in December of 20, sorry, December of 1972. And so there's a connection there. Um, Lisa Bolt Simons is on the back of the book. And she also helped connect me with an amazing illustrator who's her first book. So it was, we self-published. It was a real labor of love. We had a lot of fun and connection doing it. And I, I think it definitely shows in the book and it's being very well received. So yeah, um, I just, I love it. I want to make sure that everyone knows where to find that. Plus, for all of you listening in, uh, and it, it, it brought me a little tear to my eye. I, I recall a book that I read to my children when I couldn't always be with them. I, I, I think it was called I Love You All the Time. And uh, one of the sections was I love you all the time, even when I'm far away. I love you all the time. So just kind of that concept of being uh, able to be with your children and show that you're always with them in your heart and 
you know, just yep. painting a different picture for, for children. And they have these beautiful creative minds. So when we can create that idea of, oh, it can be a little mouse and be there with me no matter what, and no matter where we're at, you can still be with me and I can still be with you. So it's a beautiful, beautiful concept. I love it. Very touching, very moving. At least it did for me as a, <laughs> as a mom. And so thank you for bringing that into the world. It's beautiful. And I'm going to let you read your website. It's here on the screen. And also again, for the audience, all of this information is going to be in the description, as well as link to access that book and share it with all of your loved ones. It's a really great thing. And, um, you know, Christmas is coming up and birthdays yeah. come up. So it's a great, beautiful, yeah. <laughs> touching, moving, inspiring gift. And now that you have the background of Blaze and her awesome journey, it's it's even more powerful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, my website is um, diamondechelonllc.com. And that picture that we were showing with the four jets lined up, that is an echelon turn. And the four aircraft are the diamond. So that's where it comes from. And, and the tagline that I created for the the team is when I took for, or for the four of us um, unofficially is what I took. So brilliant under pressure, right? We want to be brilliant under pressure and, and just like have faith that when you are under pressure, like you are, you're doing amazing things. So um, yeah, diamond echelons, LLC.com is where you can find, there's a button right there that takes you direct to the Shopify page to buy the book, which will be signed. If you purchase it that way, you can also go on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or Bookshop, like all the major book retailers, you can purchase the book there. Um, and that's where you can book me too. If you'd like me to come and speak to your team about um, teamwork or parenthood, or obviously there's a lot of things that that I've become a, somewhat of an expert on, or at least people would appreciate hearing stories and hopefully inspiration to aspire to keep going and, and become like the next best version of yourself. Oh, thank you so much, please, for sharing the background for us where we get more of a treat to learn more about you and more of the personal aspect of you. It has been truly an honor and a pleasure. What is next for you? You you are doing the speaking. You've created the book. The book is launched now. Is there something that is on the horizon next for you? Yes, I have been doing, I guess, two parts. Professionally, would be um, getting more into professional coaching. I have a couple of people that I have coached professionally. Uh, a lot of my mentoring and coaching is for um, younger kids who want a military aviation career, and I've been doing that for free. Um, but I would like to start getting into uh, more of the business of coaching professionals who just need some input and someone to listen to and, and some guidance in their leadership and how to be a better leader and part of their teams. Um, and then personally, I really want to get into flying the Warbirds, which are the, the trainer aircraft and, and some of the aircraft that the Wasp flew during World War II. Um, so it's a little bit of a different checkout from the F-16. They don't have an afterburner. And, a lot of them don't have smoke coming out of them, but um, just learning how to fly tailwheel aircraft and then building up the um, time and the experience that I need to safely pilot those aircraft aircraft from World War II and so that I can go out and have like another avenue to tell the story of the World War II wasp because it is very inspirational to people today. And, and in a country that can be so divided, I think everyone can rally around 
the story of these amazing American pioneers and their selfless service and, and, you know, be able to take that into our own lives. I love that. I can see how passionate you are of that. And, and I appreciate that greatly because that's, that's an era that I don't feel we should ever forget. And so for, for you and the younger generations to keep it alive and to shed the light on what that was like, I think is very, very important. So again, thank you, Blaze, for being a guest on the Wellness Driven Life Show. It has truly, again, been an honor, been a pleasure getting to know you more. Thank you so much. Thank you. Likewise. And for all of you tuning in, again, check her out the description below. If you have comments and there's something that you'd like to add to this or any questions for us, please leave them in the comment section and we will get back with you. And goodbye for now. And we will see you next time.